Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Extra Point Podcast for today, Tuesday, September the 28th. Really glad you've joined us. My name is Todd Stiles. I'm one of the pastors here at First Family Church. And the Extra Point Podcast is designed to shed some further light, bring additional observations, or just to kind of give some more meat, so to speak, uh, from the text, about the text, into the text that we looked at on the previous Sunday. Now, for those who were with us last week, you'll remember that we did um, intensely look, at least for the time we had, at uh, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and the real call there to walk in love. And, of course, it's rooted in uh, God's love for us as seen in Christ's sacrificial offering of himself. And so we talked about God's love uh, extensively. We gave some qualities about it, traits of it, how it motivates us to walk in love. The first trait I mentioned, of course, was that it is a familial love. And I referenced the phrase in Ephesians 5 where uh, Paul says that uh, we are beloved children. Now, one thing I did not take the time to uh, expand at that point is, um, is, is this understanding of God's love, that there is a distinct kind of love that God has for his family, and we can use uh, as a word for family the church or his elect, his people. There's a, a definite and distinct kind of love that God has for his people. Let me bring to bear upon this truth a, a, a few scriptures that I think you maybe want to wrestle with. Um, I, I know that in Ephesians 5, you know, it says clearly Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Acts 20, um, God, Christ, you know, loved the church and purchased the church with his own blood. And when we think about God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, there's an interesting um, verse that's uh, quoted in Malachi, I believe it is, but also repeated in Romans where it says that God uh, loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Now, as you think about this distinctive uh, manner in which God loves his children, which I think is also borne out in 1 John 3, 1, um, when you think about this distinctive manner in which God loves his people— I think one of the questions that comes to our minds is this, well, then does God uh, love those who are not in his family the same way? And we want to be very careful and clear in our answer, because we do not want to say that God doesn't love those people. He does. But we must be biblical as well and say this, that God loves them in a different manner. You know, John clearly says to us that God so loved the world uh, we know that there is this um, reference in 1 John to the sins of the whole world. And so we know that God loves the world, but I think the Bible does paint a different kind of love for the world than, he, uh, than the kind of love God has for his church. And I think the, the danger and the, and the um, thing we have to be careful not to do is to collapse all of these things into one big bucket called God's love— and just say God loves everyone the same, biblically, uh, that would not be the case. There is a differentiating, or what sometimes is called a discerning aspect of God's love. There's a, a providential type of love that God has for all of his creation. There is this uh, loving stance towards the world that God has 
uh, in redemption. And then there's this um, sacrificial type of electing love that God has for his family. And I would say even within that, uh, we know there is a type of love within God's family that we understand in regards to our obedience. Here's some verses that perhaps can roll around in your head for the rest of the day and, and cause you to kind of wrestle with your own thoughts. Maybe you'll talk this out over dinner with some friends or family. But, you know, in uh, John chapter 15, Jesus said, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Interesting, isn't it? The implication being there is some aspect of God's love that we may not experience or possibly understand if we aren't obedient. And by the way, Jude brings an echo of this in his single chapter letter when he says in Jude verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love. In God's love. And what's his implication? That perhaps someone might not keep themselves in God's love. So I bring this extra material to you about God's love um, with this aspiration and goal that you not um, think that God doesn't love the world or, or those who have yet to believe or his creation. No, God does love his creation. He loves the world. He loves his church and he loves his obedient children. And yet the Bible does seem to indicate that he loves each of those perfectly and yet distinctly and differently. Now, this automatically and um, immediately helps us to realize there are just aspects of God that we don't understand. He is truly wholly set apart, or the word could be otherly. And this is especially seen in uh, his love and how it is so magnificent and magnanimous. Its magnitude is incredible. And yet, with each of these ways that God loves, each one of them is perfect and righteous and holy. There's not a single aspect of his love, even in its aims, that is a, a shortfall or that it's not quite as good as another. And these are hard things to grasp. Uh, but we can rest assured that God does love perfectly in every way to... Um, each aspect or person or situation, but we must admit the Bible does speak of how his love is differentiating or discerning or different. One last thing to bring to your attention about the love of God. Uh, most of you know I love reading old books uh, by dead guys, uh, and I really especially love books about theology. Uh, there is um, an old um, uh, there are two old descriptors of the love of God that probably most of you haven't heard of. I haven't heard of it until recently, as I was just kind of digging into this message weeks ago and so forth. But um, for centuries, there have been two words used to describe God's love, and they, they aren't the best words uh, in our current culture because we don't define these words the same anymore. But uh, they were initially the disinterested love of God and then the complacent love of God. So you can see off the bat, like, man, that's, those aren't good words to describe God's love. Uh, they've come to be now uh, known as the benevolent love of God and the complacent love of God. Complacent not meaning smug or uh, lazy, perhaps, as we think about it, but complacent mean, meaning satisfied. So the complacent love of God would be the love of God that only those in Christ experience. We are satisfied in His love. The benevolent love of God will be that which God directs towards those uh, who are not in his family, 
those who would be undeserving, so to speak, which is all of us. And so those uh, two um, descriptors of God's love, which are centuries old, still in play in some ways, though there have been some other terms brought to the table. Uh, If you like digging into old concepts and seeing how the church fathers wrestled through things, uh, how even, you know, for for centuries uh, they've wrestled through some concepts and ways to describe God's love. You might want to kind of Google those, look into them. There is a wide opinion on them, by the way. Some like the words and some don't like the words. But I share that with you uh, because I want you to realize, though we spent 30 to 40 minutes just talking this past Sunday about God's love as the root for our different kind of life, just from those two verses, it is a very deep and wide subject, and one that we should continually explore and live in and think about, for God's love is the real a root of a different kind of life. And so don't be afraid to swim in that ocean, think long and hard, explore the verses, read the passages, and let the truth of God's love in all of its wideness and bigness and largeness, let it just blanket you and overwhelm you so that you continue to walk differently because you have been loved differently.